Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. From inside Highmark Stadium in Orchard Park, New York, this is Matt Perino. This is the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast post-game edition. The Buffalo Bills improved to 5-2 and two today. Right there behind me, uh, they defeat the Miami Dolphins 26-11. to 11, And I know what you're probably all sitting there thinking. By the way, thank you for joining us. We appreciate you. Where is Ryan Talbot? Ryan, are you there? I am quarantined right now, so I'm kind of uh, locked away in the dungeon, so to speak. So I don't have my normal setup. Well, we had to get Ryan on the show because we have a lot to talk about today. So we made it happen. Whether you're celebrating at home or away, obviously the game is over today. Football is probably over, but you can still get there probably before Sunday Night Football. Head over to Tops because they have everything, all of your fan favorites, ready to enjoy for football, entertainment, or any occasion. All right, we're going to get into this game quite a bit here today. Um, I, I think we, where I want to start off with, Ryan, is the way that this game started. And it's not really an I told you so, but as we go back through the week, and we, you know, obviously we talked in detail about this game uh, on Friday with Marcel Louis Jacques. We started to talk about it on Wednesday. And one of the things I kept talking about was these games are a little bit funny. That second game against the dis- division foe. You kind of felt today the energy from the Miami Dolphins. You saw that they were engaged. You saw them, you know, making plays. I, I noticed a couple of times Emmanuel Ogba really pumped up and kind of, you know, waving the bills off the field, the offense off the field when they made a play. And in that first half, nothing was going right for this Bills offense. They made some adjustments adjustments at halftime and we'll talk about that in a little while but as you look across the NFL you mentioned this this uh right before we went live there were a lot of funky results today yeah it's it's in any given Sunday league man and and we've said that time and time again uh I watched Trevor Simeon and the New Orleans Saints knock off Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers today I watched the parts of the Cincinnati Bengals the team that was suddenly considered the upper echelon of the AFC after the way they defeated the Baltimore Ravens so handily last week, they lost to the New York Jets. I saw the New England Patriots defeat the Los Angeles Chargers. Thursday night football, a depleted uh, Green Bay Packers team defeated an undefeated Arizona Cardinals team. And the list goes on and on and on. 
So it, it was not pretty football by any stretch of the imagination. The Dolphins had a pretty good game plan put in place. The offensive line of the Bills was who. Uh, but at first glance, it was a real stinker for that unit. Uh, but at the end of the day, the Bills came out with a win. They're they're five and two. The Patriots and the Jets did win today, so it wasn't necessarily a great day for for the Bills in terms of their their direct competition in the AFC East. But they took care of their own business. Yeah, we're going to talk about some of the performances today that I think stood out. Obviously, we'll get into this defense that I think really held the line as the Bills' offense was struggling and. I also want to say that as much as the Bills defense didn't, they played a really good game today. It helped play in this Dolphins offense that I just think just can't help itself. I mean, they, they don't have enough talent there, whether it be at the quarterback position or anywhere else that you look. I mean, just little mistakes throughout the game. The Mike Gusecki fumble play was a microcosm of their season in a lot of ways. So it helped playing this team on this day to kind of have a little time to figure yourself out. And we're going to talk about Cole Beasley's performance, but before we do, I want to kind of dive into what he said. You know, sometimes, you know, a defense, um, there's two parts of this, what Deion Dawkins said and Cole Beasley said. First off, Cole Beasley said, the defense for the Miami Dolphins, they changed some things from the first time that they played them. Obviously, they had a lot of little success against Josh Allen in this, in this, in this passing game. It was the running game that really had more success the first time around, but they flipped things around. So they were playing man coverage, but they were, they were matching a lot of the routes as opposed to playing that traditional up in your face, man on man coverage. And it took the Bills offense a little while to kind of figure out the nuances of it and then adjust and adapt to it. And for Cole Beasley, that meant a massive second half, eight catches uh, of his 10 catches that he had for the game, 110 yards, had a big game. I wrote about him over at the site. That was our big post game feature. Go check it out. He talked about quitting social media and, and how that has made him feel. Feels like a weight is lifted off him. Wrote a ton about that in his game today. But then Deion Dawkins also said, listen, you know, we went in there and we said, okay, we got to up the energy here, like the end, they came out flat. They came out, you know, they wanted to prove that they, to their coaching staff, that they weren't moseying around and kind of, you know, not playing to the level that I think that fans expected here. I mean, this was a full house here today and you saw them set that tone early on when they come, came out. I, Dion had a funny line in the, uh, when we were talking to him at the press conference, he was like, you know, we called in the locker room playing like, you know, like your piss is hot. And Dion Dawkins always, Always has something fun uh, to add to the mix. But I asked Josh specifically, okay, what about your, excuse me, piss wasn't hot in the first quarter. And he said, you know, it was a combination of things, not executing, getting, adjusting to the way that they were playing them. But I think to your point, what you said a few minutes ago, what you did, what they did do, and I think is a good omen or a good sign for this team is that when things aren't going well in a game, they can kind of figure it out on the fly and get it going right. 230 of their 350 total yards in this offense came in the second half. Three touchdowns from Josh Allen. Yeah, it's pretty unbelievable. And, you know, Cole Beasley had an unbelievable game, maybe minus that throw that he attempted into double coverage. Uh, that, that was a little bit risky on his part, but he was unbelievable. Anytime there was a, a big play that was needed, I, I think there was a third and 14, and he ended up getting 15. There was a third and 11, he picked up 20. So it wasn't just the fact that he was hauling in reception after reception in the second half. It was He was hauling in crucial receptions that kept drives alive that – uh, kept the, the Bills moving the ball when they really needed it. So offensively, uh, far and away, he was the MVP for this offense today. Josh Allen's final stat line looked pretty solid at the end of the day. Uh, 69% completion percentage, so almost 250 yards passing, 50-plus yards running. So it, it was still a very dominant day for Josh Allen when all was said and done. It just didn't 
feel that way, especially going into halftime at three and three. Uh, but but sticking with Cole Beasley, one more thing. You can tell that deactivating Twitter by far was the best thing for him. Uh, he, he was finding himself in, himself in a lot of arguments on there, you know, going back and forth. Get that distraction out of the way so that way your sole focus is on football. Those guys in the locker room with you. Uh, and, and it's really paying off for him because he, he really has had uh, an increased role here these past few weeks. On Josh Allen, I see a comment in here uh, talking about Josh Allen looking particularly ticked off throughout the game. And it was interesting. He shed some light on something that happened during training camp. And apparently Phil Mickelson, uh, who Josh has a relationship already. I think he's met him a few times at, at different PGA events. He said that he came in and actually talked to the whole Bills team right after he won the PGA championship. You know, talking about his mindset when he plays the game. And Josh kind of said he's learned now in his fourth season. He doesn't play the game frustrated. When he's frustrated with himself, he doesn't play the game very well. And you could see that that early on in the game that he was getting frustrated with the way that this thing was going. They weren't figuring things out early. Everything was kind of a slog. They couldn't get any momentum and get the ball moving downfield. And, you know, he, he credited Phil Mickelson to, you know, kind of looking back at what he said and how he kind of, uh, approaches the game, especially a game like golf, when there can be so many little things over the course of 18 holes that frustrate me. You, I mean, me and you know, Ryan, I don't think either of us are, are world, world-class golfers. If I hit a, a slice off into the woods, I'm uh, swearing all the way up the, the fairway. And so I, I can understand that you've got to really be composed. And he said he, he talked to him about going to a place of zen and going to a place of playing with calm. And you saw Josh Allen come out in the second half we talked about having these playmakers around him who do a good job of keeping him grounded. But you saw Josh Allen react to his first half and change it in the second half. And that was a big reason why I think they won. Oh, big time. And they, they did show it on the television broadcast at one point. They, they talked about Stefan Diggs coming up to Josh Allen on the sidelines and really calming him down in that first half uh, because he was frustrated. He was upset. It was 3-3. Three, three. They weren't really moving the ball. A lot of three and outs. A lot of drives that were just going nowhere. Uh, a lot of plays, I think, where he thought there should have been flags, and that's a whole nother matter. But he, in the second half, he was taking what the defense was giving him. He was showing a lot of really nice touch passes because, for the most part, he wasn't stretching the field uh, a lot, minus those throws to Cole Beasley. It was a lot of loft passes, shorter passes, letting his guys do work. and then, But then it started working, and, and in addition to Beasley, at Gabriel Davis with a few receptions, Stefan Diggs with a touchdown reception, uh, Tommy Sweeney with two big receptions on that drive when uh, the Dolphins had pulled within six. He had, I, I want to say, an 11-yard reception and a 14-yard reception on that drive, almost back-to-back plays. Uh, so, you know, everyone stepped up when they needed to, but Allen especially, he found that place of zen, so to speak, and he was able to move the ball in the second half and put up some touchdowns with this offense. So we talk about some of the good stuff that happened today for this team at halftime and, and went in the second half. I want to stay on the offense before we move to the defense because there's things that, you know, weren't as good. And I think that there, there's some concerns on this offensive line. I mean, this is a, a Miami Dolphins defensive line that has been anything but imposing to start this season. I mean, they, they came into this game ranked 25th in the league with 12 sacks. Their pressure rate is only the 20th best in the league going into this, this game. And I thought they were winning a lot of one-on-ones. Like I said, they were motivated. I thought if Brian Flores could hit the right notes. And also I want to, I want to add that like Brian Flores, what happened after the game today, 
Miami Dolphins reporters, Marcel being one of them, were tweeting out, hey, we're waiting a long time for Brian Flores to come to the podium. And he was asked about it. He said, honestly, we put a lot into this. Uh, I was kind of just sitting there taking it all in. This one hurts a lot. Uh, paraphrasing there, something like that. You know, they put a lot into this. You could see the dejection on the face of guys like Emmanuel Ogba and Christian Wilkins who got into it with Josh Allen at the end. This was their season. In a lot of ways, the Bills are one of the top Super Bowl contenders in the league. This was a chance to have a statement win. If you had any chance of saving your season at one and six, you were going to have to win this game. And so they put it all on the line and they came in here with a good game plan. I thought the defense played well. And because of how well that defensive front played, they really overwhelmed this Bills offensive line. Spencer Brown was out. So that shifted all the pieces. And so Daryl Williams went back out to right tackle. John Feliciano moved from left guard to right guard, and they put in Ike Butker. We'll talk about Cody Ford in a minute uh, at left guard. And I think almost nothing was going right for them in the first half. I mean, they were getting blown off the ball at times. There was no semblance of a running game on that one third and one play. They they ran off, and this is where you know I, I question Brian Dable a little bit. They they go on a third and one play to an I formation look which basically tells the defense, okay, load up the box because we are running it. And they have not shown all season that they can just line up in, in a front like or in a formation like that and have success. And what, lo and behold, one yard loss and the Bills are that now in a situation, a bad situation. And so I think up front, running the ball wise, offensive line blocking wise, John Feliciano didn't have a good game today. Ike Bucker, not the answer. You know, we may see the Bills maybe flip things around if Spencer Brown's not ready to go next week, and we may finally see Cody Ford come back, which is something I don't think we were all, and any of us were talking about going into this game, should he not play in this game, which he didn't start. Yeah, listen, this was at least on initial glance, and I will go back and watch this game. I have a lot of free time on my hands all of a sudden. Uh, but this was a rough performance from the offensive line. When they were trying to establish the run game early, that offensive line was getting blown back by the the Dolphins' defensive line. If they sent an extra man, the offensive line could not adjust. Uh, you name it, it, it was just a bad performance across the board for the offensive line. And, you know, Spencer Brown, I'm, I'm assuming, will be back sooner rather than later. But back injuries are pretty serious, especially when you're talking about, you know, big men that play a position like offensive tackle. But I did say in my Encourage Worried article, I said maybe the only blessing in disguise here is Brandon Bean got to see firsthand how bad this offensive line looked with just a few days remaining until the trade deadline. Maybe that is that motivation that kind of puts you over the the hump, so to speak, to say, okay, I need to find someone that could potentially be an upgrade. It doesn't have to be Andrew Norwell, who has who carries a big cat pit, but would be a significant upgrade. You know, we, we've talked about Hernandez with the Giants, and and there's other guys out there. But scour the the league. Look at those teams that are at the bottom of the league. And is there a guard on an expiring contract that a team might want to move for a mid-round pick that you feel would upgrade your line? Because, listen, you're one injury away from your line looking like this again. And you want to have as many reinforcements as possible. It's nice to have depth. But how many starting talent players does this offensive line have? I think it's a valid question. We've seen them kind of tinker, and I think this goes back to what we talked about quite a bit, is that this is, I think, the price that you pay when you're so willing to move pieces around. Like even today, 
the way that they go to this specific look, moving John Feliciano, who's now played how many games this season at left guard to right guard, and he looked completely different. It, obviously, he had that one game to start the year where he looked really bad against Pittsburgh, rebounded, had a couple of good games, and has been probably average the, since then. You know, there's been some 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 missed assignments, so on and so forth. To then move, I know he's a veteran, and I know that they have confidence in him, but I just think that a lot of times, like you talk out of both sides of your mouth when you say, okay, we want continuity. You hear offensive linemen. I think we were talking to Mitch Morse recently about how, what is, what is it to the continuity? Do you want to play with the same five guys? Or maybe it was Deion Dawkins. I can't remember now. And he said, yeah, I mean, there's something to it. I mean, playing with a guy that you played with before, that's important. And I think that that helps kind of generally understand not only like, not only does it matter with the assignments, but like we heard Deion Dawkins talk after the game is like Miami was doing a lot of different things. They were switching things up. So they were switching uh, players on and off the field. So where you were expecting a big defensive lineman, sometimes they flipped in a linebacker or a defensive back and you had to really pay attention to numbers. Well, if you're playing against the uh, next to a guy that you haven't been playing next to the communication process, I think it takes a hit whether or not they want to admit it or, or, or not, or, or like, harp on it because I think you always want to kind of if you're the team if you're the bills you want to kind of keep that at arm's length you know as you're working through certain things but it seems like they're always working through something on this offensive line and the Miami Dolphins are who they are we talked about their offense we saw what the Patriots did today they're not going away and against that team against that defense you know with the way that Mac Jones is showing that maybe he can score the ball a little bit better this offense has to be more consistent especially up front yeah, big time up front. And, and you, you know, it, it's a tough problem to have because you mentioned it. Continuity is, is huge to this team. Is it worth maybe having an average to subpar line if it just means having the same five guys out there? I don't mind the mix and match if you're truly trying to, to find the right answer. I get that that brings its own batch of problems and issues along with it in terms of communication, uh, in terms of comfort, moving a guy from one guard spot to the next. I know that Daryl Williams, for instance, his worst year uh, in the major or in the NFL with the Panthers was when he played four different spots in the same year. But I'm also sitting here saying, don't stay with the same five guys if, if you're not happy with the results. The Bills have some work to do here on the offensive line. I just don't know what the answer is unless they go out and, and make a trade here in the next few days. You can always look to the you know practice squad, signing guys there, seeing what you can develop over the course of the year, but that's not necessarily going to be an answer that pans out uh, in 2021 either. So, you know, that that's definitely the, the one area that I think is the biggest question mark after this game. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. Thank you for uh, joining us here on the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more from hot to go pizza and appetizers, signature fried chicken, baby back ribs and subs to delicious salads and brownie trays. Tops has everything you need to feed the hungriest fan. Now, let's let's shift gears for a moment. We'll, we'll come back to Cole Beasley because I want to talk. I want to get into him a little bit more because. You know, this was a big time performance for him today. And I think, you know, some of the plays that he made when he made them enough can't be said about his impact in this game offensively, especially with, you know, Stefan Diggs and Emmanuel Sanders kind of having a more quiet game outside of the touchdown for Diggs. defensively. Let's start with Ed Oliver, Ryan, your, your impressions of his overall game. He had his first sack. It got nullified because of a Jerry Hughes offsides. 
Ed Oliver joked that he uh, he now is owed some dinner from Jerry Hughes. But you know the pressure was there. The uh, presence in the run game was there. A tackle for a loss early in this game. I think this was probably Ed Oliver's best game of the season. Yeah, you know, and that this is one of those games where it's so important to actually be able to watch the games because if you were someone that missed the game and you looked at the stat sheet and you saw Ed Oliver, two tackles, one tackle for a loss, you'd be like, well, just another ho-hum game, but that could not be further than the truth. Uh, he was just blowing up that Miami Dolphins offensive line all day. He was getting pressure. He was getting heat. There's a third and 20 where the Dolphins are trying to establish a screen pass. And there's one thing about letting the guys through. He literally just made his way. He had a great jump at the snap, got through, and he blew up that that play. He had the one tackle for a loss. He had a few tackles right at the line where he teamed up with a few other players. This was an unbelievable performance by Ed Oliver. Uh, he should have really come away with the fumble recovery in that game, too. He landed right on. It looked like he had it, and then somehow it squirted out in that game. Uh, but definitely a highlight game from Ed Oliver, something you want to see. Uh, it says a lot about the, the play of Star Latulale next to him as well because it allows Ed to play the way that he does. So uh, a great game by the interior of that defensive line, and then obviously Addison and Hughes coming away with sacks as well. But, yeah, Ed Oliver up front was, was the MVP of that defensive line. What did you think, Matt? Yeah, two sacks, Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes. I thought that they were, you know uh, – they were active. I thought Jerry Hughes continues what I thought he played pretty well against Tennessee. He, he carried that into today. Uh, six hits. I'll be interested to see the, you know, the pressure rate. And it's interesting because when you're playing a, uh, a team like this and you know going in what Tua in this offense wants to do, they want to get the ball out of their hands quick. A lot of in-breaker stuff. Jordan Poyer talked about that a little bit and actually mentioned that on the interception play, they had watched some stuff on film and seen that specific play and kind of targeted it as a play they wanted to work on throughout the week in practice. And so when it happened, Jordan Poyer was like sitting in the backfield, seeing the play kind of play out in front of him. And he's like, no way. And he joked about this with Micah Hyde sitting next to him, like, no way is this happening. And as it played out, uh, I thought that he he did a really good job of, of not only, you know, seeing it and recognizing it, but making the play. And just at all levels of the defense. I mean, Levi Wallace had, a, you know, it looked like he was maybe in the, uh, on the way to one of those games where Devontae Parker, a matchup, you know, potential problem for him had a few receptions early, but you know, I thought that he held his ground. He made a play late in the game. Trey white made a couple pass breakups as well. I thought this was a game where all three levels of the defense were working together against uh, inferior offense, but against an inferior offense that you have to make plays. They had the one drive. It's hard when a team gets 10 plus drives in a game to keep them out of the end zone every single time. And a few things had to work well uh, on that touchdown drive to, to have it happen. Tremaine Edmonds, I thought, also made a, a couple big plays in this game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tua had to convert a fourth and six on that drive to to end up in the end zone. It was a great pass down the field to Mike Kosecki. But, you know, speaking specifically about this defense, the, the secondary blows me away because you mentioned it with Jordan Poyer saying, you know, that that was one of the plays that we set aside and hoped that we would see. And sure enough, in, in slow motion, almost probably it came into play for him with an interception. He made it look easy, almost returned it for a touchdown. Uh, but I, I want to say there was two plays where I think Trey White saw the same thing. There was one where he was expecting the ball to go to the left uh, side of the receiver and it went to the right. So he tried to jump the route and the ball went to the other side. So not only did he not get the uh, interception, it, he allowed the the reception in a few yards after that, so to speak. But then later in the game, I think it was a similar play. He almost jumped the route and came away with the interception. So 
it, it really speaks to the film study, the amount of work that they put in because they do diagnose those plays. They do see them and then they try to react to what they've seen on film. So kudos to white and Levi Wallace because early on Wallace was getting beaten early and often by Devonte Parker, uh, missed tackle here and there, but then he had the pass breakup. They were gaining more confidence in that secondary and Micah Hyde with a fumble recovery in, in the first half on that disastrous uh, play that the dolphins had right before halftime. So all the way across the board, the secondary made some plays today. Taron Johnson was in on a few plays as well. Uh, secondary strong performance for the most part. Like I said, you, you can't stop everyone all game long. Devonte Parker size uh, physicality is a little bit of a mismatch from Levi Wallace, but Levi ended up standing his ground. And then you're right. Uh, I thought that uh, Edmonds had a really nice game. He had eight tackles in the game. He uh, just missed getting his hand on a ball early in that matchup, but I thought he had some impact plays for the bills as well. Yeah. I thought Matt Milano looked healthier. You know, that two weeks, the bye week came at a perfect time for him. I thought he was moving around a little bit better. You know, he seemed like he might have been maybe 80, 70 or 80 percent against the Tennessee Titans. I go back to that one play that, you know, if you're a Bills fan, you hate to see that play where he kind of stops on a dime and tries to reach back and kind of the leg kind of buckles underneath him. You know, there was actually one play with Josh Allen today where he was running off to the right and he ran the ball quite a bit today uh, comparatively to some other games this season. And, you know, it, they always like, you know, you, you knock on wood if you're a Bills fan, but you kind of run into the outside and the defender comes in, takes an angle, kind of goes low and like the, the lower body bends in a weird way. And I feel like you're always probably sitting back. I don't know if that plays the same way on TV, but there was one on the right sideline today that was just like, wow, you just wait to see if he gets up because it could be disastrous if something happens on one of those plays. Yeah, that's always the risk involved. And, and listen, there's certain times where you dial it up uh, and it makes sense. And and his most successful run today was actually on one where I'm pretty sure it was a pass play, but he saw there's absolutely no one on the right side of the field and he just took off and it went for uh, 34 yards. But you'd like to see them cut down on, on those design runs a little bit, especially in certain scenarios. I didn't like the one. I want to say it was like a third and nine play. Uh, it wasn't a great snap first and foremost, but I'm not sure why you think that maybe a, a design run up the middle w- would get you those nine yards. If that's the best use of your franchise quarterback making over $250 million. Uh, I get that he's a weapon. I get that he's an asset with his legs and arm. And I saw that he broke some or tied a record with Cam Newton today for, for scoring touchdowns on the ground, but you got to protect that. And you're right. You're one shot away from needing that next man up. And yes, the bills have a, a quality backup option, uh, but you're seeing it around the league a lot. Quarterbacks taking hits and missing action and missing time. And even though the saints came away with an unbelievable win today behind Trevor Simeon, it, it just goes to show you they were on their third string and only quarterback remaining. They didn't have Taysom Hill. Uh, he, he was dealing with a concussion still. You, you lose Jameis Winston. So, you only have so many guys at your disposal and there's a huge drop off from Josh Allen to Mitch Trubisky or just any backup in this league. So you, you got to protect that investment. And, and that's not just on the design runs. That goes back to our talk about the offensive line. and Maybe the fact that the bills do need to go out and see what's out there before this no- November 2nd deadline. I want to get into some, some big performances, you know, in this game. One of them, obviously Colby's is we, we kind of covered Josh Allen. One performance that, I think that I wrote in my observations piece. I think there could be a punter problem here. Corey Bohorquez, 
Not the greatest punter in the world. I think he's ranking, ranked eighth in the league in average this season. Got a booming left foot. You know, uh, the big the big sell for Matt Hawk was that he was supposed to come in here be a little bit more of a pinpoint type of punter. Well, to this point, not only is he one of the worst in the league in terms of punt average, he's also having these issues where, you know, he he's having punts go off the side of his foot. Today, he had a 19-yard punt. Those are the kind of field position L's that you can potentially eat that put your defense in bad spots. They gave him a three-year contract, Ryan. I've not been impressed with him whatsoever. The stale, the stalemate with Bohorquez was, you know, that they didn't, they couldn't agree on a long-term deal. And now it's, it's kind of sitting back and looking at it. How much is a punter going to make? Maybe they should have invested a little bit in Bohorquez, who, at the very least, you know that he was going to get the punt off. He was going to get the. I mean, he had his flubs every once in a while, but I think that they've downgraded significantly at the punter position. I think that's a very fair argument to make. And there was some talk about the holding issues too on field goals, not getting it down uh, in time, not turning the laces out, uh, whatever the case may be. But I, I do think it ended up coming down to money. And you're right. Bohorquez had his issues where he he would kick one off the side of his foot for a short punt. But we saw that today for Matt Hawk and, he he hasn't been hitting these great punts when he has been delivering them either. Uh, and the special teams, you know, it's just been getting down there and making the plays that they always do. So you're right. It's definitely an issue. Um, you know, I'm not going to get into punter draft talk, but I've actually watched some college football this year and there's been some punters that can boom the ball. So maybe the, the bills uh, address that issue on day three of this upcoming draft and, I'm sure that uh, you you can swallow the, the whatever dead cap there would be on a punter's contract, but you, you're right. Right now, there, there's no reason for me to think that Matt Hawk is the long-term answer at punter, despite signing that three-year deal, because he's been very inconsistent. He has not been delivering these pinpoint uh, punts that I think a lot of people were, were expecting. It. And then worst of all, the the delivery itself takes a long time to get off and Yes, there's something to be said about the blocking in front of you, but he's had not only did he have one blocked in week one, he's had a few close calls along the way as well. Listen, it, could it be a problem? Sure. But this is a team that when they're going as well as they're going, I think that the offense and their ability to move the ball and score points is what's going to be their strength. And you may not have to worry about the punter too much. So I want to go back to that offense, focus in a little bit on what Cole Beasley did today. And obviously I mentioned eight catches in the second half of his 10 for the game, 110 yards. Both were uh, game highs for both teams. But three of those catches came on third down, third and long. And two of those catches ended up extending a drive that ended in a Josh Allen touchdown pass. And Josh, you know, Josh Allen, uh, Sean McDermott, both gave Cole credit for not only making those plays, but extending them, allowing the Bills to kind of go down when those plays weren't anywhere to be had. And you and you go back and look, and I don't have them off the top of my head right now. I got to go back and watch this game. When you get yourself into those third and long situations, it's because of some of the things that we've been talking about. Not being able to run the ball, having protection issues, protection, not being able to identify the protection. And at times, Josh Allen said that that's on him too. He's got to do a better job of seeing what the Dolphins defense is doing and putting the Bills in a good position to be successful. But I still go back to that offensive line shuffling that I think has a little piece to do it, do with it. When John Policiano and Mitch Morse are going well in spots that they're comfortable in, I think that they're pretty good in terms of, you know, aligning themselves with Josh Allen and that communication being at a higher level. But Beasley being that safety valve, 
especially against a team that plays predominantly man defense. He's known as the zone beater, Ryan, in a lot of ways. He finds a soft spot in the zone because of his ability to run routes, his quickness, his deceptive um, ability with with the foot speed, finding the soft spots in the zone and making defenses pay. Today, he said a lot of times he was getting man coverage and he had to win those matchups. He won them, and because of that, the Bills scored. In a lot of ways, that's why they were able to go on and win this game. Yeah, absolutely. And and the third and 14 catch that went for 15, he caught the ball. He kind of turned and assessed where the defensive backs were and what he could do. And he did just enough to get the uh, first down conversion, the third and 11 that went for 20. He he literally laid out and used every uh, inch of his wingspan to haul that ball in. So having a safety valve like that, a guy that can haul in those tough passes that uh, you you can sit back there in those third and 11 and third and 14 scenarios and not expect a running back draw or a screen pass or one of those plays where, well, maybe we'll catch him off guard and, and we'll, we'll move the chains. You know, you know that Josh Allen's going to try to to get all those yards back in that one play and to have a guy like Cole Beasley that's willing to go across the middle and find those spots and haul those passes in more times than not. It's just huge for this offense. And you're right, it really paid off uh, when the Bills needed it most today. All right, we're going to bring uh, Sarah Holland in here. If you're watching, Ryan Talbot is with us. That's who you just heard. Uh, We'll bring Sarah in here. She's got a couple things to bring onto the show. Sarah, how are you? Did you get uh, rained on a little bit out here at the stadium today? How was was the rain? It was. It started um, a little bit in the as soon as I got there. I got there about eight thirty. So I did unfortunately get rained on as I was walking through uh, the tailgates this morning. And how was the turnout? It was Halloween here. I didn't even make a reference to that, Ryan. I didn't see you on the screen. You would have definitely had a Halloween joke had you been live on the show. So uh, that's just the reason for that. But um, I think my my headline for the story was the Bills avoid uh, a Halloween horror. Uh, by the way that this thing started, it looked like it was going to be pretty bad, but you were on the tailgate. People were dressed up. What was the, what were the highlights? Um, it was awesome. I got to talk to a lot of fans and a lot of people were excited about, you know, getting featured on Syracuse.com and, and for the shout. And they, uh, wanted to, uh, pass along some words and just say that they love the show and stuff. So that was awesome getting to talk with them. And, um, I would say my favorite costume was definitely, um, the blind ref. That was um, he was visually impaired and he was sponsored by Tom Brady. So that was that was pretty funny. Very good. Very good. All right. So I see Elliot in here with a question. Sarah's going to bring some stuff in here as well. Should we as in the Bills be more concerned about the games against the Jets and Pats after wins today? Ryan, I'll go to you first. I I think the division looks a a a lot different today than it did going into the day. You have to be prepared for every game, first and foremost, but especially division games. These these are teams that have seen you multiple times, especially Bill Belichick. Belichick has seen the Bills, uh, you know, more times than he can probably count. So he's going to have a a pretty good defensive game plan in mind. He had a lot of guys on that unit that opted out last year that are are back. Uh, He's added some players that were Kyle elsewhere on the league that have played with him before. So. They do have a lot of talent on defense, so I'm sure that he's going to try to frustrate Josh Allen in that offense. Uh, in, in terms of the Patriots offense, you know, Mac Jones was just, he was fine today. He was nothing, he didn't do anything special. It was a, a bad interception by uh, Justin Herbert, where his receiver didn't look for the ball that really ended up costing them late in that game. It, it was what it was, but I still think this is a team that the Bills could handle. And then when it comes to the Jets, 
Uh, I don't know if anyone saw the Mike White game happening the way that it did. Uh, Over 400 yards passing, I believe. Uh, Had two interceptions early in the game. One wasn't really his fault, but really bounced back, spread the ball around, looked great, looked the part out there. So, you know, maybe the Bills fans should hope that Zach Wilson heals up very quickly and they do see him in in a few weeks. But I think that the talent level between the Jets and the Bills, again, there's a significant gap there, so I wouldn't be too concerned as long as the Bills don't come out and kind of uh, mirror the performance of today where, where it takes two and, a, two and a half quarters to really get going. The division games themselves, I think you kind of throw out the records when these teams play. They, they're so familiar with each other. And not to mention, going into the season, you know, this Patriots defense is a lot better than I think it's even played. And I think you saw that today against the Los Angeles Chargers team that had two weeks to prepare for it and came in and wasn't able to get the win. And obviously they did enough offensively to win the game. I got to go back and actually watch it. But I think, you know, you play those teams four more times. You've taken care of the Miami Dolphins. I think the Patriots at four and four now. You know, you look. I looked at their schedule. There's a really good chance, Ryan. They're above 500 now. If the Bills take care of their business by the time that Monday Night Football game comes around, it could be the Bills up three games on the Patriots. So it, it, it couldn't be a situation where it's not necessarily like the New England Patriots are this looming force in the AFC East. But they're going to be there. They're going to be funding for a wild card. Uh, and it's going to be Monday night. It's going to be Bill Belichick against Josh Allen, which is going to be big time at that point in the season. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, there was a question that was raised. Uh, Sarah, why don't you bring it in here uh, before we wrap up? Yeah. So um, we obviously know that the O-line struggled today. Um, so there was a question earlier in the chat that was um, asking who was the worst offensive lineman from today? You know, they all at the end of the day looked like circus peanuts and candy corn. So I'm not going to choose one over the rest. Overall, that unit, they were lacking an almond joy, Matt. Almond joy, a real gem of candies. That is fake news. Do not ever associate a good thing with almond joy. We covered this on the last show. And since we can't see your face right now, uh, maybe I'll just mute your microphone so we can't be talking that nonsense anymore. You know, I'm also not going to sit here and say that from watching a live game, I could tell you who was the worst. But I think that there was problems across the line. And a guy like Mitch Morse, who you're paying a ton of money to and you need him to be the anchor at that center position. I was really underwhelmed with his level of play today. I thought there were a bunch of plays where John Feliciano, Feliciano got beat. And listen, I come back to saying this. Like, I would say that there, there should be more – blame put on Zach Moss and Devin Singletary for the ineffectiveness of the running game. But for an offensive line that wants to run the ball as much as this one at times has seemed to want to, they got to prove it more. And, you know, I saw it a couple times today. I mean, on that third and one, when you give the ball to Zach Moss behind not only your offensive line, but a fullback blocking in front of them, you got to get that one yard. And it comes down to, can you win your match- matchup? Can you out physical the, the the team in front of you, a team that is not overwhelming? Uh, their run defense has been good. Marcel said that on the show. But, you know, you got to win those matchups, and they didn't do that enough today. Definitely, if you're going to be at the game, leave it in the comment section the day of, if it's a home game, who knows when we might have Sarah out there to do it once again, to go around, maybe talk some shop with you guys, maybe get your thoughts about, you know, playoff pictures. We'll, we'll put our heads together. We'll come up with some fun ideas. Favorite Thanksgiving foods? That could be a really fun topic. I know that's always a hot topic, uh, you know, uh, this time of year. People getting their Halloween de- decorations out. When do you get your Halloween decorations out, Ryan? Or your Christmas, your Christmas, your Christmas. Uh, Christmas usually actually comes pretty soon in terms of the decorations because you got to get the uh, 
the cat used to it. So you got to get it up without the ornaments for a little while. So pretty soon it's going to be the Christmas tree season in here. All right. Very good. All right. For Ryan Talbot, Sarah Holland, I'm Matt Perino. We will be back this week coming up. Uh, Hopefully we'll have a big show for you. We're still working on that one. We were teasing. Uh, We'll see when it happens. It's going to happen at some point. Uh, We'll see you then have enjoy the rest of your weekend, Sunday night football. uh, And we'll see you next week. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.